You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. of Zippy Zealots. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 87, and I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your scrappy, scrambling, but scrumptious, scrupulous screwball. <laughs> Does that make sense? No. Yeah, sure. It Whatever, makes yeah. no more or less sense than the other ones <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, that's true. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. <laughs> On the previous episode of Good Job Brain, I'm pretty sure I, uh, for some very strange reason, kept saying 10,000 leagues under the sea. <laughs> and everybody just nodded along with, yeah, yeah sure. This sounds about right. He's yeah. so confident. Well, right. I, I was like, 20 but i didn't i was like i I didn't even know what i was saying honestly like i really thought i was saying it the correct way that's because you're focusing on the league fact Twenty thousand leagues under the sea is the proper title of the disneyland ride (laughs) (laughs) um i actually also have one um actually and uh, it wasn't it wasn't really an an error but it was more of a omission from last episode i shared mnemonics for uh superlatives for bodies of water like the largest lakes and uh, a couple of people online noticed that caspian sea is the largest technically largest sea or lake caspian mm. sea is a little bit weird because it's called a sea but technically it is landlocked so that makes it a lake but then I dug deeper and turns out there's some oceanic plate involvement. So it also can be called uh, a small ocean. Uh. So it depends on what the international law is. So it can be classified as mostly sea or lake uh, and sometimes ocean. So it's it's a little bit unclear. It's a gray area. Yeah. But what, do, what, do you do if, big. what do you do if it comes up in pub trivia? That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, what if it, I don't know. We have these cases where we're sometimes, you know, it's it's not necessarily a poorly worded question, but it's ah, what are they looking for? Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's, yeah. What is there's, commonly? There's yeah. There's what's the answer, and then there's what are they looking for, and you hope they're the same thing. And without further ado, let's jump into our first trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. And I have here random trivial pursuit card from the box, and you guys have your barnyard buzzer. So let's uh, start off the show with answering some questions. Here we go. Blue Wedge for Geography. What country is home to Chacaltaya, La Paz, and Potosi? Colin. Well, I think I know La Paz. Isn't that Bolivia? Correct. Okay. Yeah, oh, okay. I was the only city. I was like, I don't know the other ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Pink Wedge for pop culture. What baggy trousers got their name from a performer <laughs> whose name <laughs> is Stanley Kirk Burrell? Everybody. Hammer, Hammer pants. pants. Yeah. MC Hammer. Oakland Zone. From Oakland. Yes, yes. that's right. And Yellow Wedge, what kitchen appliance helped Nike co-founder Bill Bowerman revolutionize running shoes soles? Oh, a waffle iron. Correct, oh, Chris. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. The first Nike soles were just rubber poured into a waffle iron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. The smell would be really horrible. Like, <laughs> I'm sure it's pretty bad, yep. Anyways. Hot rubber. Purple Wedge, name at least five of the nine members of the Weasley family in the Harry Potter series. <laughs> you want to just go around the table? Let's go around right, the table. Right. Can I start? Because okay, right, okay, I'm yeah, going to know you, the Yeah, fewest. you start. You start. Okay. <clears throat> Ron. Yes. Yep. All right. George. Fred. Ginny. Oh, Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> Skippy, Ginny, yes. Molly. Correct. 
Oh, wait. Uh, shoot. And there's three more brothers. There too. are three more. Yeah, the I older know. brother with the scar on his face. Scarface. Scarface. <laughs> Harry Scarface Potter has a Scarface. Do you want, can I finish it off? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's Arthur Weasley is the dad. Yeah. Bill Weasley. Bill. And of course, Charlie Weasley. And, and Percy. Yeah. Oh, and, and Percy, Percy yeah. Weasley. Arthur, Bill, Charlie, Fred, George, Ginny, Molly, Percy, Ron. Mm. All right. Green Wedge for science. What word is common to the full names of the NIH and WHO? Oh, health. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. National, National yeah. Institute of what, Health. You all paused. I was like, what is health? Yeah. <laughs> what, no, no. I was just kind of oh, okay. rooted out by this question. Yeah. It took me a second oh. to figure out what they were asking. It was kind oh, of yeah. Weird. What word is common? All right. Yeah. Last question, Orange Wedge. You know what? Orange Wedge is supposed to be sports and leisure. I feel like I haven't gotten a sports question in a really long time. I, I think okay. this category, they they do the most straining. To okay, all right. Yeah. What is known as the fifth taste after bitter, salty, <laughs> sour, and sweet? Everybody. Umami. Yes. The word describes a kind of yummy Savory quality. Yeah, they always say savory. <laughs> yum, yum, yummy. Yeah. Sounds yeah. so scientific. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yummy. <laughs> scientific terms. Yeah. Good job, Brains. Longtime listeners would know that we usually record this podcast in Colin's apartment in his dining room area. We actually have two silent co-hosts. Yes. Sometimes in the room, sometimes not in the room, sometimes on our lap, sometimes on the table. <laughs> and there are pod cats. They're, they're Colin's kittens, new kittens. So we thought, why not, since we're dog lovers and cat lovers, to do a whole episode dedicated to the weird facts and burning questions and, and trivia about cats and dogs. So this week we're talking about the truth about cats and dogs. <laughs> So I promise I will uh, bring this back around to cats eventually, but just bear with me here okay. for a minute. Right. Uh, so uh, you guys remember uh, several episodes ago we talked about occupational names, you know, like mm -hmm. what is a cooper right. and yeah. uh, right. th those types of names. Yep. A cooper being a, a barrel maker. Uh, do you guys know what a fuller is? Do you know what the occupation name of someone... <sighs> uh, we didn't talk about this before. Fulling, yeah. Right. Tell me, what is fulling? Filling something up? Fulling uh, is an old part of the process of turning wool, like raw wool, into wearable wool cloth. Okay? Oh, okay, so it's part of that process. And specifically, it's the step where you take the wool that's come off the sheep and you you clean away like all the oils and like the lanolin, you know, yeah. with mm -hmm. sheep sweat basically, and just all the dirt and the impurities. Wait, so lanolin you... is sheep sweat. Yeah, I thought it was oh. just fat from like oils from the. Well, I I'm kind of. simplifying it a little bit. It's sheep excretion. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it comes from it comes from their skin. Their skin. skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lanolin is sheep sweat. <laughs> so back to the task here. Okay. Back to the okay. topic. Sorry. <clears throat> so that's the step where you basically clean out the wool, and it also kind of fluffs the wool up, makes it a little thicker and more durable. And over the years, there there been a lot of different processes for fulling. Uh, apparently, they used urine at one point as part of the process. Uh, okay. Many different procedures, but eventually they discovered a substance called fuller's earth that they would use for this process. Wow. And Fuller's Earth is a very specific type of clay that is especially good at absorbing oils and mm. moisture and impurities, and it washes away really cleanly. Oh, and it's so, like a wool Brita. Yeah. So they would kind of, you know, mm. work that into the wool as part of the process of fulling. So can you guys take a guess 
What do most people today use Fuller's Earth for? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it is cat-related. It is cat litter. Yeah. Cat litter. Uh, clay cat litter that you may have in your cat box right. is Fuller's Earth. It's a very specific type of clay. Whoa. Okay, question. Yes. Do they still use Fuller's Earth for wool production? Uh, you can still use it for fulling, yeah, if you're doing a traditional... But nowadays... There are other processes. It's one of many, but it's it's safe. It's clean for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the reasons people like it, I guess, I learned this as well, it's used in the special effects industry a lot. Like in Hollywood, they like it because it produces a lot of dust, but it's a very kind of safe, clean dust. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. They use Fuller's Earth to like make country roads and things like that. Huh. It, it's so that's all kitty, kitty litter. A lot of that, it's the same stuff that kitty litter is made out of. Maybe not in granule form, but wow. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, who knew? Fuller's knew. Now, I think I would have probably guessed this is something like, oh, yeah, going back, you know, hundreds of years. People just naturally knew. Yeah, use it for cat litter. No, this this only goes back, like, to the late 1940s. Huh. Uh, people oh, using huh. what we talk about, like, uh, kitty litter, cat litter mm-hmm. today. What did they use before? Uh, well, one of two things. Either you kept the cat outside, you know, yeah. like yeah. the cat was not an indoor pet and you just didn't worry about it. They did their business in the dirt or hopefully not your yeah. flower beds. Sure. Um, but if you did have a litter box inside, you would use sand. Most people use oh, okay. sand or sometimes sawdust. Now enter the story one Mr. Edward Lowe. In 1947, he was uh, living in Michigan and working at his father's uh, sawdust factory. One day, his neighbor came over and she had a cat. Now keep in mind, this is Michigan. Uh, it gets mm-hmm. cold in Michigan. Uh, oh. She had a cat and she came over with the problem that her cat box uh, had frozen. The sand, oh. the sand had frozen into oh, a solid clump. Yeah. So she came over to ask, like, hey, here in the sawdust business, can I borrow some sawdust to fill my cat's box up with? Again, mm-hmm. very common. And this is where, uh, as Edward Lowe famously would love to tell the story he had a hunch <laughs> and so now i mentioned his father's in the sawdust business so one of the one of the things that they would sell sawdust for was uh cleaning up oil and grease like in industrial settings okay. sawdust it's mm-hmm. really absorbent you put it down it's very it's non-toxic it's easy to clean up but one of the problems with it is that it's 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 pretty flammable i mean as you can imagine oh. sawdust soaked in oil and grease especially yeah. you yeah. know around big machinery it's it's kind of hazardous so his father had recently started selling Fuller's Earth to some of his clients who needed oil and grease absorption. And in fact, that is one of the primary uses for it still today. Outside of cat litters, it's great for soaking up oil or grease in your driveway, things like that. Oh, yeah. People do put it down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he happened to have a bag of Fuller's Earth and said, you know what? Let me give you some Fuller's Earth instead of sawdust because it absorbs its weight in water. I think this will be better than your sand or whatever for your cat litter. So she took the bag. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Just loved it. And he knew he was onto something when she started coming back asking for more. Mm -hmm. It was at this point that he just had that entrepreneurial spirit. And he's like, all right, this is my million dollar idea is using Fuller's Earth uh, to fill cat boxes. Mm -hmm. So he put some Fuller's Earth in bags. He named his new product. Kitty litter. This oh. was the trade name. Oh man! Kid, not uh-huh. even cat litter. Kitty, kitty litter. litter. Yep, kitty okay. litter. <laughs> and it's you know it's one of those things <laughs> like zipper or aspirin now, where it's just become Z-R-S. generic. It has. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And so his plan was, all right, I'm gonna make a million dollars. He's like, so he took it to pet stores, <laughs> and he's like, all right, you know, I want you to sell this thing. You know, his suggested price was like sixty five cents a bag for five pounds, and they they basically laughed at him. They're like, oh. look, yeah. buddy, sand sand is like one cent a pound. So he came up with a with I think is just a brilliant, brilliant stroke of business insight. So he persuaded the sellers, give it away. 
give away the bags of kitty litter until people are hooked and realize how much superior it is to sand and then start charging First for it. First one's free. Yep. Yeah. The rest, as they say, is history. Uh, Edward Lowe made millions and millions and millions of dollars oh. off of wow. pioneering the cat, the kitty litter industry. So mm-hmm. there was kitty litter brand. Uh, he also started Tidy Cat, which I have oh. bought myself. Well-known brand. Yep. They've been around forever. Uh, they are hands down. His, his companies are the leading companies in that industry. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the formula, when you go buy kitty litter, it's the same stuff, basically? So they've added, you know, some tweaks like like the clumping litter, you know, yeah. not to get, you know, too inside baseball here with the cat litter. But, uh, <laughs> too inside cat box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. inside cat box. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. Chemically, what is Fuller's? It is a clay. It is like, a clay. You harvest it somewhere? It's mined. Yeah, you oh, mine okay. it. It's, huh. It sounds like mostly in the south uh, southwestern U.S., it sounds like. And there's enough of it that we can let cats poop on it all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In addition to it being super, super, super absorbent, mm-hmm. it also naturally neutralizes the ammonia smell. Oh. And if you've ever oh, yeah. had a cat or been around a cat, you know that cat pee in particular, they say because cats are so efficient with the way they process water, cat pee has so much ammonia in it. That's yeah. why it so smells so bad. Oh. And the clay naturally neutralizes it. Huh. And now, so from there, a lot of people really attribute the fact that people started using uh, Fuller's Earth clay cat litter to being more okay with having yeah. indoor pets. Oh. And they say that really like the second half of the 20th century just saw a boom in the idea of, oh, a cat can be an indoor pet. And oh. they say that that's one of the reasons that cats, I guess, have now surpassed dogs in terms of popularity. Oh. Who knew there was so mm. much uh, story to unpack? Get out. So pawing you, through the history. More you, yeah, the more you pawing through history, <laughs> yeah. the more you dig. Yeah. The more you find. That's right. You find buried treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Got some logs of wisdom for wait. Oh, never oh, no, 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 man. All right. I have a quiz for you guys. It's about cats and dogs, and it's Jeopardy style. So all of the answers will have the word cat or dog in them. Okay. Buzz in. Must phrase it in the form of a question. Okay. Okay. UrbanDictionary.com defines this as someone who pretends to be someone they're not using Facebook or other social media to create false identities. Everyone. Catfishing. <laughs> what is what catfishing? Is, oh, dang it. Well, all of dang us. it. All wrong. One question in. <laughs> what yeah. is catfishing? Cuspids, which are the long pointed teeth that humans have, are also known as what? Or, what are canines? Oh, no. Nope. Yeah, because oh. it's always got to have cat or dog in it. Yeah. Oh, it has to have cat or dog. Yeah, I was going to yeah. have canine. Oh, okay. oh, what are yes. your dog teeth? Yes. Oh. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, they call them your dog teeth. Dog teeth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Okay. This thought experiment posed in 1935 <laughs> shed new light on quantum mechanics. Everyone? What, what is Schrodinger's cat? cat? Yeah. The name of Keanu Reeves' band and also the brightest star in the night sky. Colin? Uh, isn't it uh, Dog Star? Yes. Yeah. What is no, Dog you said, Star? You said, no, he said, isn't it Dog <laughs> yeah, Star? Yeah. It is a, is a question. question. You're right. Yeah. You're right. My natural tick. This is the name for a duotone textile pattern characterized by broken checks or abstract four-pointed shapes. Uh, huh. 
Oh. It, um, oh. Is this Dogtooth? Yes. Oh. Okay. I was it's thinking. Hound. It's also Hound's Tooth. Yes, also, but also, yeah. well, but you, you know, dog teeth work so well for me. Yeah. Right. yeah. Dog I, I've learned yeah, now. Chris has just taught me, like, if I think I'm close, just substitute dog for anything related to dog, right. and that's yes. the answer. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This 1957 children's book led directly to the creation of Beginner Books, a publishing house focused on producing books for young readers. Chris. What is the cat in the hat? Yes. Yes. This game played with two people features a series of string figures. Colin. What is Cat's Cradle? Yeah. This is a 1999 film starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. (laughs) Karen. What is dogma? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the name for Chopin's waltz in D major flat, opus 64, number one, also known as the minute waltz. What does Chopin name this waltz? Oh. This is the name Chopin named yeah, it this waltz. Hmm. Yeah. Feels like something like cat, maybe. Yeah, Catherine. <laughs> like the, ca- what is the cat waltz? <laughs> you know what? You. What? Oh, I was going to say, what is the dog waltz if he was wrong? <laughs> yeah. So there was a 50-50 chance. Yeah. It's the little dog waltz. Oh, the oh, little dog waltz. Yeah. Oh, that he, is cute. Yeah, yeah, he was watching his little dog running around chasing its tail, oh, and he so wrote cute. a waltz about it. Last question. The first recorded use of this idiom was in 1651 in a collection of poems, Olor Iskinus. Oh. Chris. Oh. It, will it be It's Raining Cats and Dogs? Yes. Oh. I was going to say, cats got your tongue. That's what I was going to guess. Yeah. 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 Meaning cats and dogs. 1651. Good job, you guys. So for this episode, I was like, okay, Karen, what are some burning questions you have about cats and or dogs? Mm. Question number one. So I've heard of six-toed cats. Oh, yeah. That happens. That's a very common thing. My family, we had six-toed cats. Like Ernest Hemingway, you hear about his crazy Mm -hmm. six-toed cats, and they're all still there in Key West. (laughs) Yeah. So I know polydactyly happens in cats. It's common to have six-toed cats or even seven-toed cats, but I was like, okay, was there any cat that just had the most number of toes? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what's that one cat, and how many toes did it have? (laughs) So I found out. Normal cats usually have a total of 18 toes, five toes on each front paw, and Mm -hmm. four toes on the hind paws. Tiger, a Canadian polydactyl cat, 27 toes. Wow. Normal number of toes is 18. And like, it's an odd number, that's too. That's like a which fan. Is, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, were they, were they all on, all the extra ones on his front? Oh my paws? god. How many? So many. Like, yeah. That's like They were all on one paw, just all running down the leg. I don't know if those count as toes anymore. <laughs> so like, it's, so it, typically it's, it's five, five, four, four, and this is 27. Yeah, so I don't know what the breakdown extras. is. So that's yeah. two extra on each paw, plus another one. Yeah. Somewhere. Just throw it yeah. in there. If Distributed evenly. If distributed yeah. evenly, yeah. and it's, I'm all just on one. It'd be weird yeah. if it was just one yeah. pot. I like the extra, 20. just one for good measure. Yeah. Yeah. 20, uh, 27. I don't know if it's an advantage to have a, you know, for cats to be polydactyl. <laughs> it can't be. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was, he had that nail thing. He was like Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was like a gecko. Uh, yeah. I bet you they were vestigial or, or didn't really do anything, you know, and just sort of hung out. So the other question I had, and I, I'm not sure how I'm, I'm going to explain this. Uh, hopefully you guys understand. <laughs> so... In English, we have classic dog names like Fido, mm. Spot, yeah. or Rover. Rover, yeah. And it's like generic, maybe. Yeah. It is. It's kind of like John Doe or their actual names used for an unidentified 
thing. I think generic yeah. is probably, as Dana yeah. says, probably the closest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. it's a name name. Yeah, It's yeah. not just like, oh, I, I call a spider a bug. Right, right, right. right. It's yeah. like Spot and Fido are actual names. Huh. Or a Polly for parrot. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Or right. Tabby or tiger, for a cat. Tabby for a cat or Tiger mm-hmm. for a cat. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, where, where did these names come from? Spot, I think most people know, comes from the 30s. There are a series of books, like Dick the and Dick and Jane books. Oh. Yep. Their Dick pet and Jane dog. And Spot. Yeah. Their okay. pet dog was Spot. And those books were published for like, ah, for like 40 years. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the iconic dog name. And then, uh, there's Fido, which is derived from the Latin term for faithful. Oh, okay. Fidelity, yeah, right. yep. Fido. It, it may be the popularity comes from the fact that President Abraham Lincoln had a dog uh, called Fido. Really? Uh, yeah. Cute. So that might be the reason why Fido kind of stuck. Okay. And then I was curious about in other cultures if the same phenomenon happens too. And I'm, you know, I, I threw it out to Facebook and, and Twitter and asked our international listeners to, to contribute. So these names are just like Spot and Fido. They are the iconic placeholder name for any dog. So in French, it is Medor. And in Australia, it's interesting. It's Difa or Defer. Huh. And it huh. comes from D for dog. Uh-huh. For D for dog. So they just say Difa or D4. <laughs> okay. In Germany, it is Bello. And Bello is, uh, comes from bark, like okay. a barker. In Colombia, it is Tommy. And lastly, in Sweden, it is Bamsa. It's spelled B-A-M-S-E, Bamsa, for teddy bear. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so my next burning question is, Sometimes uh, there will be a dog on TV, and I'm always curious. I was like, do real-life dogs, can they see dogs on the screen? Do they understand what's going on? Yes. Yes. Wait, really? Based on a research, recent research uh, back in February 2013, the results show that dogs recognize Uh. and can recognize dog species on a screen. They conducted a study. They would show all these domesticated dogs pairs of images. One would be of a dog breed and the other would be a human or another animal. Most of these dogs showed interest to the dog. Mm. And the the really interesting thing is there's so many different types of breeds and they look so different, but somehow dogs can categorize that that goes into a dog category. Hmm. That is amazing, actually, because there's such variety. Of dogs. They've never seen before. Like a chihuahua to a St. Bernard. They are mm -hmm. able to form visual category of dog face and group them in a different group than other animals. I have one last burning question. There are few things in life that are better than dogs and bandanas. I think <laughs> dogs and bandanas is like the best thing. Like it's so cute. I, I don't know why, and I don't know. They're so sporty and preppy. Yeah, with is. the bandana tied around their neck, their like neck. a Boy Scout. Okay, yeah, yeah like I know what you mean. Or a I know what you mean. It's because it kind of humanizes them a little bit, maybe. But, or... then, but then at the same time, it's like I grew up in a different country. Like it's it's a worldwide kind of phenomenon <laughs> of putting kerchiefs on dog necks, and it's so cute. <laughs> I was like, where did it come from? Who was so the first So this was person? your Google searches, why are dogs and bandanas cute? Like, who was the first person? Like, was there like some sort of pop culture icon or um, the movies oh, that, okay. it, you know, that, that popularized? Couldn't find anything. Huh. Couldn't find anything. And I think hmm. I, I read some theories that maybe it was back in the day, 
people can tell their dogs apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Sure. But then that also assumes that you live in a place where a lot of dogs look the same. Maybe it's know. like a collar. Oh, yeah. Maybe it could be. Yeah. Ran across a story uh, recently about sometimes there are coyote attacks in neighborhoods. And whenever you spot a coyote, you're supposed to call, you know, either your fire department or the police and tell them like, oh, there's, you know, I see a coyote. And a lot of people were accidentally spotting coyotes. They would spot like a dog, you know, in the neighborhood. Uh, And they would. So many false alarms. In fact, that the town issued a rule that you had to put kerchiefs on dogs or bandanas on dogs uh-huh. so that when you see a moving four-legged thing and you see that has been bandana, you're like, oh, okay, that's not a coyote. It's a dog. Or it's a, a very smart coyote. <laughs> you know? Couldn't find anything. I need to know. Hmm. I agree with you. It is definitely cute. Yeah. Who started it's it? It's the best. Maybe somebody knows. Yes. Please, please run in. <laughs> looking at my dog and I put a bandana on him and I was like, why? Why, Cisco? Tell me why. <laughs> why is it so why cute? Why do you guys wear bandanas? It's so cute. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick ad break. A word from our sponsor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. You're listening to Good Job Brain this week. We're talking about cats and dogs. We may all already know, based on the, the archetypal story of the cat trapped up in the in the tree and the fireman having to climb up to save the cat, right? Uh-huh. Uh, cats like heights. Cats really like heights. They have an affinity for heights. It's a good mm. vantage point for hunting. It may also provide concealment. They just really enjoy climbing up stuff. They and do. They, they like being up high. And so when cats climb up things, they tend to fall off things a lot, too. We all know the old saying that a cat always lands on its feet. And of course, we've probably either done this experiment with our cats or, uh, or just seen it in action. When you just a cat, throw your cat? Oh, you, know, you drop your cat yeah. or you throw your cat I, or your cat falls off I'm something. not going to lie and say that I haven't done that when yeah. I was a kid. Who among yeah. us has not thrown our cat? Um, <laughs> you know, you drop them upside down and they land right side up all the time. Most of the time, every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It wasn't really until like slow motion cameras that we really had an idea of like what cats were doing because they kind of figured that cats, they just turned in the air. But... You can't just turn in the air. Rigid bodies can't just turn in the air. If you or I were to throw ourselves like 
off a cliff, which I'm not for one second suggesting that we do, <laughs> unless there's clown firemen holding that net thing. <laughs> then it's totally okay. <laughs> then you do it. And even if you had all the time in the world, we would have a really, really hard time and probably would find mm-hmm. it impossible to try to turn ourselves back the other way. Like, we wouldn't be able to orient ourselves so we fall a certain way. But cats, due to having really flexible bodies and this reflex built in, it's called the cat writing reflex. Ah. R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. Writing. <laughs> yeah. You left and, me hanging. You spelled out right, and then I was yeah. like, is it going to be I-N-G? I-N-G. <laughs> just, just, yeah. just building up the suspense. Yeah. Um, they, they twist and they deform their bodies in midair. If you watch it in slow motion, it's this very complicated procedure of them, like, twist one part of their body while they, they twist another part in a different direction, and they pull in their paws, and they push out the other paws, mm. so they're able to, like, it's some, it's some crazy stuff. The first thing they do is they figure out which way is down, <laughs> and they, and they do that with their eyes, and they look. And if, that, oh. if a cat, if a cat can't see, they are going to have a harder time oh. landing on their feet because they're using their sight to determine where is the ground. Mm-hmm. They're also using their internal balance inner ear things that we all have to, yeah. their mm-hmm. vestibular system, if you will, which is what it is called. And then when they land, they absorb the shock by bending their legs. You may know that cats are known to occasionally fall from dizzying heights and survive. Yeah. You hear on the news about like, oh, a cat in Manhattan fell out the 29th story oh of a high-rise building and is alive. The cat's name invariably yeah. is like lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and they might have some broken bones and they might have some internal injuries, but they, they heal or they go to the vet and they, you know, heal the bones. But the cat lives. Something that would have killed literally any, Any other <laughs> non-bird creature, yeah. right? In 1987, some researchers in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association decided that they were going to collect and look at some data of cats that had fallen from great heights. They specifically looked at 132 cats that had been brought into the Animal Medical Center Veterinary Hospital in New York City following a fall out of a tall building. You may say, that's a lot of cats that they were able to, 132. <laughs> that How, just came in. Yeah, they just came into the, to the hospital. There. It seems like lots of cats fall out of buildings in New York City. As it turns out, they do. There is, <laughs> there is a phenomenon that veterinarians call high-rise syndrome. Um. And the cats tend to fall out of windows when they're living in really tall buildings. <laughs> uh, because, well, we already know they like heights. Mm-hmm. They enjoy going to the windowsill and enjoy the feeling of being super high up, but then they're not in a tree. Like, they can't, like, grab onto branches and stuff. It's slippery. Right. And they might see something that distracts them. Like, cats will get very fixated on prey or whatever. Yeah. And they might get fixated on a bird and be like, oh, I'm going to get that yeah. bird. Oh, and now I'm out the window. Falling, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Falling, falling, falling. So, the study found that of the 132 cats that were brought in for falling out of high windows... 90% of them survived. That's now, amazing. Yes, it is amazing. Now, the, you have to take this number with a bit of a grain of salt because it's a self-selecting sample because the cats that were brought to the hospital yeah. ni- with injuries, 90% of those survived. If a cat falls Dies. out the window You're and is clearly <laughs> broken into a million pieces, you don't bring it to the vet, right? You, yeah. you have a little cat funeral. So it is a self-selecting sample, but still... 
90% of cats that fell out of the windows and were brought to the vet actually did survive. But then, when they started looking at the data of these cats, they found something that is really, really interesting. If the cat fell out the window on the first floor, the cat would maybe get some minor injuries and, and survive minor injuries. The cat falls out of the second floor window, the cat's injuries are slightly worse on average. The cats who fell out of the second floor window, their injuries were worse than the cats who fell out the first floor, as you might imagine. Yeah. Third floor, injuries are even worse. Fourth floor, injuries are even worse. Fifth floor, injuries are even worse. Sixth floor, the injuries they sustain on average are even worse than the cats who fell out of the floors below them. Seventh floor, injuries they sustain are even worse than all the floors below them. Totally making sense. Eighth floor, injuries aren't as bad. What? Ninth floor, injuries aren't as bad. Tenth floor, injuries not as bad as cats who fall out of the floors seven, six, There's five, like four, two, one. There's a weird cutoff. There's a weird cutoff. In fact, you can go all the way up to the tippy, tippy top floors of buildings. And the injuries that the cats sustain mm. are not as bad as the injuries that they sustained on the 7th, 6th, 5th floors or thereabouts. I, I remember hearing yeah. about this. Yeah, it's uh. a crazy, it's a crazy thing. So what is going on? Yeah, because even is- if they, even they're able to switch their way or with mm-hmm. writing, you still have a lot of impact. I mean, you still have yeah. to travel a lot with yeah. gravity yeah. working. Yeah. But but if you own a cat and you're living in a Manhattan high rise, you are the cat is safer living on the eighth floor than the seventh floor or higher. Now, the reason why this happens is a matter of some debate. The theory that was advanced by the veterinarians that did this were, okay, well, the cats, if they fall out of the seventh floor, they don't have time before they hit the ground to attain terminal velocity, which means that they're accelerating all the way down, or they don't have time to, like, get themselves in position. And they're basically saying that if the cat is high enough that he gets to terminal velocity, which is which is the point at which you stop accelerating, right. which is just you're going down to the ground at a constant rate of speed, mm-hmm. at that point, the cat might relax, mm-hmm. and, and almost in the way that a flying squirrel might, you know, it sort of, right, like, spreads right. out a little bit. And, and has more time to ready himself for that impact and actually might even create more drag and might fall more slowly and is thus able to absorb more of the impact. So it wow. seems like cats need at something like if they have enough time in the air, they can really prepare themselves for the landing. Right. This is not to say that they are not injured. Yes. They are, yeah. they can be very severely injured from these falls, but they, but they live. But that mm-hmm. the 20th floor is not statistically more dangerous than the 11th floor. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Now, again, self-selecting sample, <laughs> it may be the case that if you're higher than the seventh floor, you're probably dead anyway, so they don't bring him to the vet. You know, it could be that sort of thing. It, this is based on or New York a cats study of these cats. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then a lot of anecdotal evidence. But that that is what they found. Wow. Yeah. I love stuff like that. I, I, yeah. I mean, not to say I love stuff like cats falling out of buildings. Right. But what I love right, is right. counterintuitive findings. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've been talking about real cats and dogs, and I'm going to talk about a fake dog. Oh, thank mm-hmm. goodness. Cerberus. Do you guys know who that is? Yes. Yes, that is the dog that guards the gates of Hades, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about the dog? Aside from his three heads. Yeah. He's polyheadal. So so if he has three heads and three brains, is he really one dog or three dogs? Dana, you just blew my mind. (laughs) 
So a little bit of uh, background. When we think of Cerberus, probably we'll think like a black dog with three heads. Or we think of like the Harry Potter Fluffy. Fluffy. The actual Greek mythological creature, yes, it has three heads, sometimes more, Mm -hmm. depending on different depictions. But it's not just a dog. It's a certified monster. It has a mane, and the mane is made out of snakes. <laughs> it has a tail, and it's a snake tail. Oh, jeez. Oh. Yeah, so it's not just It's like, kind of mostly snakes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Most so is it a It's, a, it's snakes <laughs> using a dog body to get around. <laughs> like, it's the offspring of... Echidna, not the animal. Echidna is the hybrid half woman and half serpent in Greek mythology known as the mother of monsters. Uh-huh. Its dad is Typhon, which is a gigantic monster known as the father of monsters. Together, the mother and father have spawned Cerberus, Chimera, mm-hmm. and the Hydra. Uh-huh. And another uh, sibling, Orthus, is a two-headed, two-headed dog creature. What famous story <laughs> did Cerberus make an appearance what famous Greek story? Is it the Odyssey? Uh, was it? No, it was the one no. where he had to like... go get his girlfriend Ulysses. back, right? Oh, wait, was it the one with the girlfriend? There are a lot of them yeah. about the girlfriend. I can't remember who the protagonists were. Is it but... the Persephone one? Cerberus is famously the 12th labor, the 12th oh, task oh, of, of Hercules. Course. Oh, it's, We have a mnemonic for this, too. The last yeah. task. Because Cerberus is a, a symbol of guarding and security, there's a lot of technological companies naming their products oh, Cerberus yeah. because yeah. it is the, the most famous guardian, including this one thing. It is a blue egg-shaped, kind of looks like a Dalek from Doctor Who, um, <laughs> but blue. And it's an ultrasound device that is used to detect almost anything underwater. Huh. Uh, it's made by Kinetic with two Qs because it's very edgy and technological. <laughs> sure. And this is used by military forces all over the world and it can distinguish a diver from a dolphin from a seal anything that is in the water it can identify just by the ultrasound it just made the news uh recently this year because kinetic the company that made cerberus made their first sale that's non-military use oh and that is for treasure hunting (laughs) is it Um, paranoiacs (laughs) for America's Cup right here in oh. San Francisco. Okay, yep, that yes, makes sense. the big yachting uh, sports event uh, mm-hmm. that happened uh, occurred a couple months ago. It was the first non-military Cerberus system that they put in the water, and it detected a bunch of stuff. Pretty cool, and it looks like a toy. <laughs> it looks like you think like a crazy ultrasound device would look like something like black or stealthy. No. Bright blue. I'm just going to venture a guess that since their primary customers have been the military and the America's Cup, that they're not cheap. No, yeah. not I'm going to guess this is <laughs> yeah, exactly. not something you can just buy at Radio Shack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one more uh, Cerberus-related thing. There is a protein called the Cerberus protein. It's associated with the development of extra heads. Oh. Hey. There are tests with tadpoles and mice that this protein may be associated with in- inducing <gasps> multiple heads can we in all, animals. Can we all eat it and grow extra heads? <laughs> I could use an extra head. What if it's brain dead and you just have to carry it around? What you? if it's not? You're right. What, what if, if what if you hate smart. it? What if it's really annoying? This Christmas, Adam Sandler in <laughs> Too Many Heads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like he's already done that movie. Don't you? <laughs> so there you go. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. 
it becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job or your title. As former corporate executives, we know firsthand that navigating corporate waters is not easy. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. I wish people would be able to understand in this corporate world that talking about things that don't work or identifying problems does not mean you're a problem. We'll dive deep into what happens behind fancy corporate doors or Zoom backgrounds or whatever. Are they really performance improvement plans or just a legal tool to get rid of people? <laughs> I know a lot of people have been saved because of them. We've created a show to help you navigate tricky corporate situations based on research and real life experience. I have really good advice. Don't go to a strip club with your team. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. And Colin, you have a last quiz for us. It's sort of a quiz. It's quiz-ish. Okay. Yes, yes. All right. It's not unquiz-like. Let me start with a a quizoid. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, let me pose a question for you guys here. Sure. Uh, true or false? Mm -hmm. okay. Only house cats are capable of purring. Big cats like lions, tigers, and leopards cannot purr. True or false? Mm. Yeah. Tell me what you think mm. or what you may have heard. I I'll say, say all cats purr. I'll say Right, I'll say false. All cats purr. Oh, false. false. Other other things besides house cats can purr. I totally. I'm trying to f remember if I'm misremembering this, but I could have sworn there was a baby lion and it was purring. And it was very cute. <laughs> I'm gonna say saying. false. Uh, it is false. Oh, yeah. okay. all, all all felids uh, mm -hmm. are capable of what we would call purring. Capable. But for a very very long time, they thought that this was true. And in <laughs> fact, like you'll still see this in some trivia collections, even. Uh -oh, and I, snapple lids. I, I remember <laughs> learning this growing up. I've read this in more than one place that like, oh, you know, big cats can't purr, hmm. and they would talk about like the trade off like they can roar or they can purr but cats uh, that you know so like lions tigers like they always thought for a very long time that 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 they could not purr turns out that this actually uh is in fact false like researchers <laughs> these days nobody ever really was able to cozy to up find to them out, close yeah. enough to but, find out if they yeah. purr or not yeah. youtube yeah. cracked the case <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh they just this just like in the last dozen years or so that researchers are finally saying yeah you know we think that the big cats are in fact capable of uh purring <laughs> huh. and no one really knows exactly what purring is like huh. no one's exactly sure what it is like there's nothing there's nothing unique to cats physiology that they don't have anything special that other animals don't, don't have yeah there's no really? there's no purr box on a cat huh. like oh this is where the purring comes from I and it doesn't they, huh really they, I figured they would they have some theories about it uh i'm not going to get too into the anatomy here but it comes down one of the beliefs comes down to the hyoid bone which we have one in our throat it's a u-shaped bone it's in mm -hmm. the middle of your throat so they used to think that the cats uh in panthera so that's like your lions your leopards like the you know the, the big cat yeah sure the panther family as opposed to like house cats or felis genus um, and in some cats it ossifies or, or hardens and they used to think that the ability to purr was connected to whether they had a hyoid bone that was ossified or not turns out all the big cats even with ossified bones non ossified bones are able of purring it's just at a little bit different frequency than house cats so yes all cats mm -hmm. are capable of purring all right another question for you guys do cats purr on the inhale or on the exhale? Oh, wow. That's a good pub trivia question. Uh, 
on the inhale. Wow. This is tough. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I'm trying to remember. Exhale. It's a trick question, and oh, I apologize. Both. It is both. I, don't, I do not accept your apology. <laughs> they purr on the inhale and on the exhale. Huh. Uh, house cats. Yeah. And it's, if you listen They're to They're like a, Kenny G. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> circular purr. <laughs> the circular purr. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a slightly different sound, and it vibrates slightly differently, but they can do it both ways. So, like, as long as they're breathing, it's inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. They're purring. The one difference here is with the big cats. The big cats that can purr, it's only on the exhale. Okay. So they're structured a little bit differently. All right. Last question for you guys here. Why do cats purr? It's relaxing. Okay. They're trying to trick you into doing something. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because, all right. Because they do whatever they want. Yeah. You know what? I think all three of you guys <laughs> are right. All three of you guys are right. Again, like in addition to them not totally understanding the mechanism of purring, mm-hmm. no one's exactly sure why is it that cats purr. Mm-hmm. I mean, all we can do is observe their behavior. I mean, and obviously the, the most classic example is they purr when they're happy. And right. it's true. Mm-hmm. If you've got a cat in your lap, you're scratching its ears or rubbing its belly, or they're mm-hmm. going to purr and they're going to be really happy. And so it generally seems like mm-hmm. they do it when they're content. But it's not really clear why they feel the need to signify mm-hmm. that they're happy. One, one theory is that it's part of just being domesticated over yeah. the years, that mm-hmm. it endears them to people. Mm-hmm. And it does. Manipulation. Yep. But Dana, as you say, to trick you into doing something, something a lot of people think that the purring they notice like cats will do it when they're hungry they'll mm-hmm. do it if they want you to feed them and they mm-hmm. think that it may be a way of like calling attention to themselves like hey i need something come feed me they've also noticed that cats will purr when they're injured or are mm-hmm. under a lot of stress oh. as well like that that is also common so it's kind of like the two extremes of either super super relaxed or super stressed and under yep. tension This is interesting. Researchers have discovered that they think that purring can actually accelerate healing. Like that just the the subtle vibration for for themselves. Okay. That they- (laughs) They're purring cats in the hospital. (laughs) I was like, I don't get it. Some studies have shown that it it may in fact accelerate healing or at the very minimum is a way of kind of them calming themselves or just sort of, all right, I purr when I'm content. So maybe I can trigger Mm -hmm. some contentment by purring the other way. Hmm. Um, Going back to the little bit of manipulation, I don't know if you guys heard of John. John Katz. John Katz, he's a uh, American journalist and uh, an author, and he wrote a lot of books and articles about dogs as pets and human relationships. <laughs> so funny that his name his is Katz. His last name is yeah. Katz. Yeah. Yeah. about dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one thing he mentioned in his book was the theory that cats and dogs may be classified as social parasites. Yeah. That technically the dogs aren't really working dogs anymore in most cases where we have dogs as pets. Mm. And so they're not really contributing to any work. Right. Yet we feed them, we give them a house. Related to that is they think a lot of cat behaviors have been developed just in response to living with people, mm-hmm. like meowing. Cats out in the wild, like feral cats or cats that don't live with people, adult cats don't meow mm. to each other. Like mother cats will meow sometimes to their kittens or vice versa. The kitten's like, hey, I'm hungry, feed me. They'll mew. But they grow out of that and people think that – Cats meowing to people—they're—they're they're trying to talk to you. They—they've learned it from you talking to them. It serves no purpose in yeah. cat world. And there you go. That's our show about cats and dogs. Uh, thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys, listeners, for listening. And hope you learn a lot of stuff about about purring, about well, not about dogs and bananas because that's still a mystery. <laughs> Someone better find that out. Uh, you can find our show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on our website, GoodJobBrain.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Calling all trivia nerds, Brittany here, and I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? We've got The Cure, three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.